You're listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, an interview series podcast that highlights the stories of the top business professionals around the world. In each episode, we explore how entrepreneurs overcame blindness in business in order to execute their vision. By Pension. I am your host, Jonathan Gustowski. Today we have Ren Sikalis on the show. Ren is the managing shareholder and officer of the CPA firm. Ren received his bachelor's degree from Rutgers University. He is certified in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and is a member of the American Institute of CPAs, including the Tax Information Technology and Personal Financial Planning Divisions. With nearly 40 years of accounting, tax, and advisory experience to his name, Ren has earned certification as a personal financial specialist a prestigious and exclusive distinction shared by approximately 5,000 CPAs nationwide. He has also achieved designation as a Chartered Global Management Accountant, recognizing his ability to provide financial and non-financial guidance to businesses on performance, growth, and in making critical business decisions based on his extensive experience in public accounting, financial and management accounting, consulting, and the management and operations of business. Ren doesn't know this yet, but when I first started my agency several years ago, I always wanted Ren as a client. His firm was huge and still is huge to this day. They were awful at marketing at the time, and I must say this at the time, and their website was just okay. I knew that he would be the perfect client of my past agency, so I did everything I could in order to get a meeting with Ren. And although it didn't necessarily work out initially, Uh, What did happen was a bond and a great relationship was established. Now, full transparency, he is a member of Penji, but what I love about Ren is his ability to want to help others. You can hear it in his voice, and there's a digital log of every time that he has ever gone out, him and his company has ever gone out within the community, uh, taking pictures and sharing the, the global scale and what they do in order to help other people. I wanted to have Ren on the show because getting financial advice is important and it hasn't been something that we've discussed much of on the podcast. A CPA or an accountant in general aren't the enemy. They are your friends. They want to see you succeed and do what they can in order for you to obtain financial freedom. This is something that I wish that I had learned early on in my career. And if you don't have a CPA, or if you don't have an accounting firm that helps you grow, or maybe you just do your taxes online, I highly, highly, highly recommend getting a financial advisor, an accountant, a CPA, etc. This isn't necessarily a direct plug for Alloy Silverstein, but you need to find one. And I personally recommend finding one that's local to you and somebody that you trust. It is an absolute must. But let's get to today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Penji. Are you in charge of marketing for your business and need graphic design support? Let Penji design anything you need for your business, from a logo to your marketing materials, sales sheets, social media content, and so much more. Penji helps you achieve more with unlimited graphic design support, daily output, and a dedicated project manager, all at one flat monthly rate. We have an exclusive offer to the blind entrepreneur community, Head over to Penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month. Again, that's Penji.co, P 
penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month of Penji. And now, let's get to today's episode. Ren, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So before we get into this episode, we have to lay the foundation as to why you are a qualified expert to talk about building financial longevity. Well, I, I think it really goes back to my childhood. Um, my dad actually passed away when I was nine years old in, in January of 66. And in May, I had to come up with the money for the Mother's Day present. So I've been coming up with money pretty much since I was nine. Wow. Um, went to college for accounting, uh, started my professional career at a couple different smaller firms, but I've been handling money and taxes for basically my entire life. How, how much stress and pressure does that put on a nine-year-old for, for having to kind of grow up really quick? Uh, I have some issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> we uh, I have some issues. Uh, I'm the oldest in an Italian family. And uh, when my, my grandfather passed, uh, he told me to stop uh, crying in broken English that I was the man of the house. And I took it very seriously. Hmm. Um, I started working probably when I was 12, 13. Uh, I was in a car wash getting a dollar an hour back in 1970. Uh, I just always worked and I always had uh, pressure to succeed uh, and uh, felt like I was responsible for a lot of people. Yeah, it's amazing. So my mother will argue with me. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure built, all that built, uh, built you to who you are today. So it's incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. For the, uh, yeah, yeah the it's, it's that saying, where it got lemons, you got to make lemonade. Yeah. Uh, you can sit there and feel sorry for yourself, or you just take one step at a time and and, and uh, proceed. That's amazing. Well, well, move, moving on to your your now career in the financial world, and it's about to be your fortieth year at the firm, and that that is a pretty remarkable thing to do. And so, before we get into the present day version of yourself. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about just the background of you working at a car dealership and then here you are standing now as the managing shareholder. Were there any particular themes that you've realized that carried you throughout your career? Well, I, I like to think not to go back to my dad passing, but I think the worst thing that could happen to anybody is losing a parent at such a young age. So, I survived that. So there's not much in life that I feel like I can't handle because the worst possible thing happened when I was nine and I survived. So having a career, going to college, uh, failing at a job or not failing at a job or, or any situation at all comes out, I always relate back to that. What possibly worse could happen? I handled it when I was nine so I could handle it in my 40s, my 50s or 60s. So I kind of look at life that way. Yeah, very true. Now, based off your career, you do a lot to give back to the world of education. And from my research, being a former teacher uh, yourself, why is education so important to you? Well, um, I think what happens is when you help an individual or you educate somebody, you not only help that individual, you help their children, their grandchildren, and you help 
generations. So as you know, in most cases, one generation tries, you want your next generation to do better, the next generation to do better. So when you help an individual, when, when a client comes into my office and has an idea to start a business, I'm not just helping that client, I'm helping their grandkids. Very true. And, and, and now what you're doing is you're spending your, I, I say your current state in trying to find ways to educate people about building financial longevity. So it's a perfect segue in how, what are some ways that you could recommend to business owners, to even people, uh, business professionals on how we can build a better financial longevity? Well, I, I think you, you have to take it seriously. You have to have a plan. Every, you, know, you, you need to be organized. Well, I found out uh, in an early stage of my, my career, when I got done in college, I actually worked for a uh, truck dealership. Um, a truck trucking outfit where I was a dispatcher and you had these 18 wheelers drivers come in. And what I found out very shortly was the, the truck drivers that were very organized, organized with their records. So even though they were driving an 18 wheeler, they would come in with an attache case. They had everything organized. They were always the most successful truck drivers. The guys that weren't as successful were the ones that weren't organized, didn't really know they were making money. It was taken each day as it, it comes. So I felt at that point in time, I was probably 21 at the time, I realized, hey, organization is the key to life. So when, you, when you're really organized and you take the financial part of your life seriously, you end up getting more in the end. And, and, and keeping track of your expenses and keeping track of your records just helps you in a long time. And you need to have a plan. The plan is what really makes it successful. And so what does a plan look like exactly? Because a plan to some people may be one thing. A plan to some uh, could be mean something else to somebody, uh, to somebody else. No, I, I think what it amounts to is that 200 clients can have 200 different plans. An identical twin brothers could have two different plans. It really depends on what your life goals are. When you sit there and you start in business, the first question we'll have is, what is your plan? When do you want to retire? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? And how you're going to get there. Things just don't happen for the sake of you showing up at work you have to have a plan and work at that plan each and every day of your life. Yeah. It's like so, going to the gym. You, it's like going to the gym. If you want to lose weight, you got to, it's calories in calories out. And if you don't go to the gym, you're taking more calories than you're burning. You're not going to lose weight. You're going to gain weight. Yeah. So you, you we'll start at the top. You start with a, a plan. Uh, assuming that you know what that plan is, uh, then after you start the plan, then what would you say is the the next step that you would take once you identify that? Once you, once you identify your plan, you have to look at it. You have to start doing your daily steps and then maybe revisit the plan on a quarterly basis to make sure you have to do some, have, if you have to do any adjustments or not adjust because mm -hmm. things change. Uh, we used to do financial planning, uh, back in the 90s for people and we would do a plan they would throw it in their their drawer and three years later they would take it out of the drawer and say okay i'm going to do this now but then their entire life all the circumstances would change and that plan was irrelevant at that point in time 
And about 1999, we started our financial services arm. And the reason we could do that is we could see if the people were actually implementing their plan and make changes in that plan every three months or four months or six months, depending on how often the client wanted to meet. Yeah. So it's really relevant well to me. It's, it's like if you're in a car and you're, you're driving to Atlantic City from the Cherry Hill area, but now there's construction on the road and you have to make a left or a right to get off the you know, Atlantic City Expressway and go down the pike. You have to change what you do. And, and a financial plan is no different than that. Your, your, your business plan is no different than that. And with the growing just world ecosystem of technology, do you, how, what are your overall thoughts in, in, in order to organize that? Because a lot of these websites nowadays, and I'll speak to one that, that I know that we use is, is, you know, Capital One or American Express. They're pretty much organizing all of these different types of expenses for you. It, it, should you leave it up to a service like this or, or, or what, what are some things that you recommend in that area? I think we, we use uh, a couple different products, but it's really your expenses and, and you really shouldn't count on them organizing correctly. You still have to, there, there's a saying when I started garbage in, garbage out, you still have to make sure the information that you put into the system is the correct information. Yeah. There's all kind of apps out there that organize your finances. Uh, I, I handle um, a lot of professional golfers and professional golfers may be on the road 52 weeks a year. So we use an app called Zero that allows them to take snapshots of their receipts so they don't have to carry them around. And it, it populates a P&L for them so they can have instantaneous information week to week based on their profitability or not. Yeah. And they don't have to be lugging expenses around or, or invoices around because they're not going to do that for 52 weeks in 52 cities. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think a lot of times when I think about accountants and when we're, I mean, we're living in a time right now where tax season is upon us, do you think there's a lot of common misconceptions when it comes to the world of accounting? Yes. Yes, I, I think most people look at accountants and they see their tax return and they see that's what those people do. They put numbers on a little piece of paper and they generate it and our work product is the tax return. And that, that there could be nothing further from the truth. What, what we, We've actually transitioned in our firm from alloy certified public accountants to alloy accountants and advisors because mm -hmm. we feel like we're more business advisors than we are accountants. Yes, we do the tax return prep, but where we really make our money is advising our clients how to make money, making suggestions on what they can do to be more profitable, looking at their business strategy, look at their business plan and making, you know, we have what we call tax alpha. Everything we do in our DNA is looking at the tax situation. Yeah. But looking at somebody's efficiency, that tax return, that 1040, that 1120 form is really not what we do. It's all the information we prepare to get that client the least tax bill they can and run their business efficiently. Yeah. Because what, what a good advisor does 
is makes helps the client make money and more than pays for himself. What I find interesting about that, and this is something that I've learned probably way too late in the game of business, is that an accountant isn't necessarily there to make you pay taxes. It's you guys are there more so to make sure that you're just doing it correctly. Would you say that's somewhat accurate? Well, I think that if you look at your accountant as your tax, you prepare. There are, there are plenty of accountants out there that just prepare taxes, mm-hmm. to just take whatever information you give them and plop the numbers on the return and give it to you. That doesn't necessarily, and, and re- realize that that preparer is just preparing their tax return. Mm-hmm. It's still your tax return. The individual still has the responsibility that it is correct. It's not the, cl- the accountant's responsibility. Right. But what, it, what an accountant can do, and there are a lot of accountants out there that I like to say they write up history. They tell you what they did, you did last year. You give them the return, and a lot of times when you give them the information, they just plop it down, your QuickBooks, your, your Zero, your Excel spreadsheet. They just plop it on the return, prepare it, and don't really check to see if it's correct. And what, what an accountant CPA advisor does is make sure you understand the financial statements, make sure that information is correct, and gives you suggestions with how do you be more profitable. So you have accountants that write up history, and then you have other accountants, I like to think like my firm, that help design your future. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? And it's so, so what important. you can do to be more profitable. And, yeah. and what happens is a, a lot of um, business owners look at their accounting fees as a line item on their P&L. Hmm. And they don't look at what the savings are. I, I just recently went out to a potential client. We looked at their information. Uh, they, it was about six months ago. They called us back in January. The new tax hold, there's an item called QBI, Qualified Business Income Deduction, that uh, his current accountant said he wasn't going to be able to get. The, the gentleman called me up and asked me what I thought. I said, I don't see why you wouldn't get it. I said, but I need to see copies of your tax returns. When I looked at his tax returns for the last three years, I noticed there was something missing. Now, this was a gentleman, two brothers that had somebody doing the return for probably the last 15 years. And one of the things I noticed that they had missed a deduction for qualified business income. And mentioned it to him, went to back to the other client, the other accountant. The other accountant didn't know what I was talking about, didn't know what they were talking about. Long story short, the two gentlemen ended up amending the last three years' returns and each of them got $90,000 back more. Hmm. And they, they've been dealing with this individual for over 10, 15 years. And the sad part is this deduction was available since 2005. Hmm. So they may have lost about 600 to three quarters of a million dollars in tax. But all they looked at is how much they were paying for the accountant because they thought he was doing a good job. Yeah. 
So there's a lot of things, though, even though you get a return and IRS isn't knocking at your door, doesn't make, it's not certainty that you're taking advantage of every deduction you get. And, and to that point, how often does the IRS actually knock at your door? Because I, I feel like a lot of people are relatively afraid sometimes thinking that they have to do it right and it must be done this way and that way. And if it's not done, then the IRS is going to come down and again, knock on the door. So how often do you actually even see that happen to small businesses? I think um, in, in most respects, there's probably more Schedule C's get audited than other other entities mm -hmm. uh, because uh, IRS feels that Schedule C's are individuals and business that aren't incorporated or aren't uh, a partnership may have a little bit more leadway in, in what they take as a deduction and may not have the back the backup. So we, we see more Schedule C's being audited than anything else. Um, can, you, can you define but, that real quick, what a Schedule C is? A, a, a sole proprietor or uh, a limited liability company that is just a single member, L, um, single member L, LLC. Mm -hmm. So that would be now reported on their income, on their personal tax return as opposed to an entity return. Mm. Interesting. So what I, I just had one uh, a few weeks ago where we did not prepare the return. Somebody came in to represent us and uh, he, he was doing his own returns, but had no backup. And, uh, you know, he was going to get killed in an audit because he had absolutely no substantiation for any, any of his expenses. Yeah. So when an IRS agent comes in, you either have your receipts or you don't have your receipts. You either have your backup where you don't have your backup. And if you don't have your backup, they're going to disallow the deduction. What are some mistakes that you see small businesses consistently make when it comes to just their financial longevity? I, I think a lot of cases, um, they'll take a, um, a structure or a form that's either off the rack or one size fits all. And, and their documents themselves, we've seen a lot of user's agreements that were cut and pasted from two or three different user agreements, their, their LLC operating agreement or their shareholders agreements are cut and paste documents and they're not customized for the situation. And what happens is that those agreements and those, the structure of the entity is the foundation of the business for years to come and then what happens is those documents are in place not if everything goes well it's when when it hits the fan so to speak yeah. and what happens is there's always this you know when 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 clients aren't really um successful it's not a big deal. Everybody's in the trenches. Everybody is trying to make it work. But then when real money comes into play and there starts to be some inner fighting between for control, those documents that were cut and paste or off the shelf become the basis for lawsuits. Hmm. And, the, and what happens is you end up, somebody ends up shooting themselves in the foot because the documents weren't customized for the situation. And the person that had the idea of control loses the entity. I, I have two or three cases right now that I'm working on 
where um, the founder or the, the person with the idea is being trying to be forced out by minority people with money because they see the light at the end of the tunnel. There might be a big hit money-wise down the line. Yeah. And it goes back to the original documents. There's flaws in the documents. And what also happened is with regard to the accounting records, there'll be businesses started with Excel spreadsheets and they don't have the, the real accounting system. Uh, and when, when later on, when a company's about to go public, they have to go back and do 10 years worth of accounting because they don't realize that they're not setting the table later on to be successful. Hmm. And, and, you know, an Excel spreadsheet isn't a good accounting system. And what happens is you find a lot of drop balls or missing um, money or, or, or people doing, um, keeping the records, the left pockets, their cash receipts and the right pockets, their cash disbursements and not doing what they need to do. And later on, when a third party comes in to value the company, you, those deficiencies hurt the company down the line when somebody's coming and throwing money at them. You, you mentioned the word uh, serious money. I think that was the term that you used. Um, what does, is there a dollar amount to that term of serious money? Because I really want to put in perspective of what people should think about when like maybe they're making a couple million dollars a year and they don't think it's serious money, but I would like to hear from your perspective, what you consider as serious money. That's uh, I'm a kid from Blackwood who was working dollar an hour at one time. So to me, 5,000, 10,000, a thousand dollars, serious money. My roots are, are uh, a poor kid who grew up with no money. So, so in my world, Anything that comes out of my pocket is serious money. Yeah. But there's other clients that think $20,000 is not a big deal, $100,000, a million dollars. You know, every individual has their own definition. Very true. Uh, every, it really does. You know, I, I once had heard a client say, or I was talking to a business associate, I once heard somebody say that, we were talking about how poor we were growing up and the third party came in and said we were poor too when we were growing up. The mate only came twice a week. So it's a whole different world. Yeah. Different world. Different perspective for, for sure. Right. Absolutely. And, and so I would like to talk a little bit more about the growth of the company because we have a pretty good foundation now of, uh, of, of how we can be more organized and be more prepared. But I, I'd like to hear you being at the forefront of growing a, pretty incredible business. And so um, it, I, I, one thing that I do admire knowing you personally is I just like your style of just no BS type of uh, straightforward, direct to the point uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to business. Do you have a personal set of standards that you've set within yourself in order to prepare you as a business professional? I, um I like to say that I had a uh, a mom who had a PhD in Italian Catholic guilt. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I was raised by a certain standard, and you you always tell the truth. You always do what's right. You 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 you. One of the things I still have, I have two things that my dad gave me. I have a desk in my uh, 
my my storage unit, and I have my name. I'm a junior, so um, your my name means a lot to me. So when I say something, I stick by it, and I, I don't lie to people. So I I I I always find it incredible when somebody says they're going to do something but doesn't do it. And you know, in business, your 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 name means a lot. It means a lot to other professionals. It means a lot to third parties and banks. So I think that when you when you're in business and you say you're going to do something, you, you need to say the truth because what happens is down the line, if you're lying, people find it out, and you don't want a reputation of being somebody that's not truthful. Yeah. So I think the important part is that you, you say what you're going to do and people know what your standard is. And I, and I don't ask anybody to do anything that I don't do. Yeah, right. I, I still come in the office between six and seven o'clock in the morning because I started coming in the office uh, between six and seven in 1980 when my, um, my wife at the time and I had one car and she, we, we shared it and, we came to the office. She was a nurse to work seven to three. I dropped her off at the hospital and then I came into the office and I yeah. still come in between six and seven. I mean, that, that work ethic is absolutely incredible. And I'm sure you've carried that over. Have, have you died down or dialed it back even a little bit from the beginning to no, what it is now? I think when you, when, when you own a company, I don't think you have that luxury. Yeah. Because what I what I've always find and, and remember my client base are other business owners that are successful or not successful. And what I find is people that achieve something in early age. I, I became a partner when I was twenty nine. So which is unheard of in my industry. But what happens is when people get some type of reward or they get to some goal where there's a tendency for people to do is they stop doing what got them there. Hmm. So I think you as a business owner need to continue doing what you did to get there, to stay there, because it's your job to motivate the other people, whether they want to be a partner or not, but you're responsible for their livelihood too. When I, when I look at what I do at Alloy, I'm not only responsible for my mortgage, I'm responsible for 55 other people's, their mortgage. I'm responsible for their other half, their kids, and their kids' education. So we look at this place like a family. So there, it's not about rensicles, it's about the Alloy family, and the Alloy family are all my employees, all their families, all their kids. And that's the way I, I, I grew up. And that's the way I, I come to work every day. I, I whether they feel that way. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, whether they agree with me or not, that's how I feel. Yeah. Right? Well, well that's, I mean, it's really powerful stuff because it's something that I'm sure a lot of other people, um, I hope, will one day feel the same way that, that you feel. I, I feel a very similar aspect that, um, I, I'm at a mercy and liberty to help them. And it's not about me anymore. It's something I, I consistently say uh, when it comes to just like this, this podcast and even, even beyond. But I want to highlight something that you said that I think is, is relatively interesting and somewhat contradicting to what 
I've always read is do what got you there. Whereas mm -hmm. I've always heard the mentality of do what you have to do in order to get there, but what you've done in order to get there isn't going to take you to the next step. Well, you, you always have to make changes. Um, I once took four or five people out to a emerging partners conference. And one of the speakers said, is the managing partner supposed to make any mistakes? Yeah. And, and you sit there and, and all six of my people or four people raised their hand and said, managing partner is not supposed to make any mistakes. And then the, the speaker asked, how many thinks that the partner is supposed to make mistakes? I raised my hand. And the four people looked at me and I said, uh, let's listen to what this guy says. And he said that if you only do the things that are slam dunks that you know are going to be successful, what happens is you lose a lot of opportunities that are going to be successful, but you don't take the risk. And what you really need is a good 250 hitter. Yeah. If you're a good 250 hitter, you can make a lot of money. Hmm. Because if you only do the things that you know are going to be successful, you sit around doing absolutely nothing most of your career. So I've tried things over my career, and I fall flat on my face. I like to say that my uh, my dating life prepared me for rejection, or, or you know, whatever. And if if I, you know, marketing is about going out and asking for business, and if you don't get it, you do something else. And if you try a venture and it doesn't work, you don't bet your house on it. You you dabble in it. And if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, you try to do the next thing. Um, I've been in a car with my my partners where I get calls all the time and somebody needs to make a decision. And I say, here's the decision. And I look at it when I'm off the phone and I say, I don't know if it's the right decision, but I do what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to make a decision. And yeah. people think they have to be right all the time. When you're in business, you're not disarming a bomb. The blue wire doesn't blow everything up or the red wire doesn't blow everything up. You just make a decision and adjust the next day or how you do things. That's the way I look at it. And that's well said. And, and, and I think um, something else to kind of get on to, uh, to, to move into is more so about how you're able to get the opportunity to even make the decisions. And something that I admire about your firm and your direction in particular is all the different types of people that you work with. I know you primarily as one of the leaders in, in accounting and finances in the locality of the Philadelphia region. And there are other people who know you much differently. And so do you think that there is a, uh, a mindset shift from you working with somebody in your local presence versus you working with somebody who you may never even speak to, or excuse me, you, you may never meet. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've always felt like I was, um, cutting edge. I, I, I bought my first computer, I think in 1983, I bought a Macintosh for about $5,500 that had 20 K of memory. <laughs> um, and 
over over my career back in I think around 2007 and 2008 I felt the world was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and um, what we did is at Alloy is we we joined a, a group called Impact America that is about 130 uh, 150 worldwide accounting firms and about 35 50 firms in the U.S. So I was the North American president for six years. I was on a global chair, a global board for three or four years, and the international chair. So we actually represent clients all over the world. I have a lot of Australian golfers I represent. We have a lot of companies in Europe that use the U.S., uh, use the Philadelphia market as a jump-off spot for U.S. operations. So we have clients all over the U.S., all over the world, uh, and that started back in 2008 because I felt the world was getting smaller and you're just running into people from all over the world more often. Um, we actually have our websites. We have Alloy Silverstein. It is a website that's for our Philadelphia market where there are people that will want to meet us. They want to shake our hands. They want to see pictures of us. And then we have a site called AS Cloud Services that is for the U.S. There, there's uh, The difference is there's caricatures, uh, or as they call them now, anime. In, in those, my, my photograph there is a, a, a character because there are people that are going to do Zoom meetings, go to meetings, FaceTime meetings, and they never shake my hand. With my Philadelphia Alloy Silverstein website is a website that people want to shake my hand. So I think you have to market differently to different parts of the world, and it works. My final question to you is just maintaining that. I guess that mindset, that mentality of locality when it comes to building your clients. And although your relationships are very, very personal and very real because you're dealing with people's finances and you're judging mm-hmm. people based off of, well, I mean, maybe you're not judging people, but you look at people based off of their numbers. And for some, that's all you may ever see is the numbers and you don't really know the person. So can you just share um, I guess the importance of of getting clients that are local to start and then obviously one day broadening your scope as you did, but just some, some techniques or some approaches that you've used in order to just get people to trust you with one of the most personal things, which is again, finances. Well, it's what we find is it's hard for people to change their financial advisor because you know where the skeletons are buried. Hmm. But you, you you need to develop a relationship. You, you don't want to look. We we went through. Um, we recently went through a survey where I felt our people weren't servicing the clients well, or up to my standard. And what I did is uh, there's a, a service called Clearly Rated where we 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 came in and surveyed our entire client base last year to see what I needed to fix at our firm. And, and surprising enough, we found out that, number one, people don't like their accountants. Uh, 24% of the people out there don't like their accountants. They, they don't have relationships with their accountants. And we found that the, the, the firms that won the award came in about 50% of their client base are, are people that like them. 
we actually came in at 85, 86% and won an award for client satisfaction in 2019, which I originally went into the survey thinking, what do I need to fix? So national average is 24. The winners came in at 50. We're at 86. And even within my office, what I found was the, the individuals in the firm that got the highest ratings, that got most of their clients to respond were the accountants that hugged their clients, that have the personal relationship with their clients, didn't know about their, their, their clients' kids, know about the situation, that spend the extra time finding out about that client's personal life. And, and where we've been successful with the firm, even the Philadelphia market, and in other parts of the country, we know our clients. If I'm, if I'm, you know, on April 15th, I go to Scottsdale, I've gone to barbecues out in Scottsdale with clients that are live out there because of the tax um, benefits out there. We have a relationship with our clients. So we originally started in the, in the Philadelphia market, but we've expanded as our clients go to Florida for tax planning or Texas because of it's a better tax rate schedule uh, state. You know, we maintain those relationships and we get referrals from our clients. I, I think the important part of being in business is how you get referrals. And, and there's such a disconnect from what any business has, your business, uh, Jonathan, too, where when somebody says, uh, you know, clients will say that they refer out the accounting firm or or your, your business 96% of the time. But what happens is you ask the business owner if they're getting referrals, they always say, I'm not getting the referrals I, I should. So there's a disconnect from clients and what the business is. And the difference is what a client does is they're talking to somebody casually and they say, who's your attorney? Who's your CPA? Who does your marketing? And they utter a name, but that's all they do. And now you ask the accountants, they got referrals, they say no, so there's a disconnect. And what happens is you have to educate, any business person has to educate their client base what a good referral is. So if you just give somebody's name, now the third party has to do something, has to look up my name, has to look up the phone number, and they don't. But if a client truly is one of your, your advocates, what they need to do is pick up the phone, set up a lunch meeting, set up a call right on the spot so that it can be a better referral. Mm. And where a lot of people drop the ball is they don't educate their clients on what a good referral is. Hmm. I mean, that, right? so, we, yeah. we, we could probably go into another hour conversation about how to get the right referral. <laughs> right. Because what happens is the client, the, the client who you've known for 20 years thinks it's a great time. It's a great referral. I'm giving his name out all the time. But you never get the call from the third party because they don't know your number. Yeah. I mean, you and I have the same problem, Jonathan. When people say, Jonathan, they got it. 
When they have to spell your last name, what happens? When they have to spell my last name, what happens? They start with an S, not a C. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to find us in their phone book to begin with or, or, or in Google. So what happens is that referral that the client thinks is a good referral ends up cold, and it doesn't help any business. And that little tidbit helps every person listening to this because they have to really say to their clients, and you can start with your good clients that you have a relationship with, saying, hey, when somebody asks, set up a meeting. I had a situation last week where we, we did a, um, a job for a client. We came in way over budget. I called up the client and said, okay, what do you want me to bill you? And I let him pick his own price uh, because I'm looking for a long-term relationship with him. He picked his price and said, are you happy? Yes, and I asked him. Could you give me a referral now? And this is what I consider a referral, Steve. I want you to pick up and have a lunch with me and bring somebody. And that's what works. That's that's how you grow your business. And just being that specific. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Don't leave it for chance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, as the, the official last question, could you just tell everybody a little bit more about how they can get in contact with somebody like yourself uh, somebody with, at your firm, uh, or check out all the other things that Alloy and the multiple other businesses that you have? I think the easiest place to, to reach me is at alloysilverstein.com, A-L-L-O-Y-S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com, or my phone number is 856-667-4100. If you email me, I return all my calls. Uh, I get back to people re relatively very quick, probably within an hour. All right. Cool. Thanks, well, Jonathan, all, for having me. I absolutely. It. And all the links will be in the show notes for them to check out and get in contact with you. Right. Thank you again, Ren. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Blind Entrepreneurship brought to you by Penji. Our guest this week was Ren Sicilis. All right, listeners, I'm sending a worldwide challenge. This week, I'd like you to take a look at your to-do list for the day or the following day. Look at it deeply and think to yourself, is there anything on this list that if I don't do it today, my business will be fine? Focus on the things that truly matter and the things that move folders and not pebbles. And when you do, tweet me at GrizbowskiJ or head over to tbeshow.com and drop a comment on this week's episode. You can find more about Rent, and he actually, graciously enough, gave us his phone number and direct line, which is 856-667-4100. You could also find Ren on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and also his email is directly in the show notes, so make sure you check that out there. And as for us here, you could check Penji out at penji.co if you need a simple, easy, and affordable graphic design solution for your business. And head over to the podcast website, which again is TVE Show, for more episodes just like this one. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could just share this with a friend or share it all over, all over the interwebs if you so choose. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.